every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Come on around back, Arizona, Saturday morning, 8 o'clock. It is the outdoor living hour of Rosie on the House, your weekend wake-up tradition for 32 years. It is the fourth Saturday of the month, if you follow along in your home maintenance calendar, a free calendar, a physical calendar, actual paper that you can hang up and look at on the wall that we uh, distribute for free to you, the Arizona homeowner. Just let us know the mailing address you would like it sent, and we'll ship it to your door. But you can see there on February 27th, in the Outdoor Living Hour, it is Urban Farming. Greg Peterson of the Urban Farm is here, and we've got an extremely uh, fun topic, uh, spring gardening. Fun for us. Yeah. <laughs> we'll make it fun for you. Absolutely. If, if you don't get the, the, the gardening bug by the end of this hour, then there's no hope for you. And, <laughs> oh, I wouldn't uh, say that. but As a gardener. There you go. But we'll happy to sell it to you. <laughs> the the excess produce that we'll be uh, right? harvesting here in a couple months. But you've got, uh, a, aside from this hour, you've got a busy day, period. Oh, I do have a busy day. We have a three-hour Zoom event this afternoon called Seed Up Saturday to teach people all about seed saving. And is that something I could still join? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. SeedUpSaturday.com. Jump jump on in, and it's free. Give me your name and email address, and we'll send you out a... Uh, Send you out a, an invitation to join us this afternoon. Two to four. I'm sorry, two to five today. Two to five, yeah. Wonderful. That is SeedUpSaturday.com. That is SeedUpSaturday.com. Going on today, learn how to stay save and store seeds, which uh, you will have an abundant amount of seeds if you follow along the next hour and follow Greg's direction on planting your own garden. Yeah. A, a vision that he has is to make Arizona kind of its own food sustainable source by teaching everyone to grow their own. Right. Kind you of know, back back to the basics. Yeah. You know, I've been a big proponent for many years, probably decades now, that everybody should have a front or backyard garden. Like, you know, it's easy to grow food in the desert if you know the rules. And that's what we're here to talk about today is what are the rules for actually successfully growing a garden in the desert? Because it's different than Minnesota. I've had people, you know, give me a call. Hey, I just moved from Minnesota or I just moved to, from Seattle and I tried growing broccoli in, in May. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> that doesn't work. Different rules, diff different growing seasons. Yeah. And the nice thing about Arizona, especially in the lower desert climates where the majority of the population reside, is you can grow something almost year round, whereas Minnesota, your growing window uh, between <laughs> the the snow thaw, I have no idea what that window is, but About and I, and five, I have absolutely months, I would guess. no intention to ever learn it. <laughs> right, <firsthand>. exactly. <laughs> you go exactly. from iceberg lettuce to icicles. <laughs> it's just, right? That's just their that's their growth pattern. I'll tell you one thing I learned this year. Huh? In my garden, tell me. I got a bag of seeds that was just assorted spring lettuce. Uh huh. Just. I dug a trench, a half inch deep, seven feet long, and I just sprinkled the whole pack. Oh, nice. And now I've got shin-high garden leaves, and all I do is reach down, 
clip them with a pair of scissors, throw it in a bag, bring it inside. And I've got four or five different types of lettuce yep. in one bowl, my salad. And then by the time I get trimming that seven feet, I can go back to the go beginning and start, start trimming again. again. Yeah. They call that, and there's a term for that in gardening. It's called cut and come again. I love it. Well, boy, I, I learned it by accident and I love it. Yeah. I, I get excited every night, you know, go outside. I'm going to have a fresh, fresh salad. Nice. So how many days does it take you to get through seven feet? Because you're only cutting what you're eating about that night. every 10 days. Okay. Oh, well, there you go. Because yeah, nice. so, just me, Mom, and Mimi, mm-hmm. you know, we're not feeding all you fat mouths. <laughs> 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 so what do you need to know in order to successfully grow in the desert? That's really the question. And, um, you know, the first thing, and I'm a a proponent and studier of something called permaculture. I like to call permaculture the art and science of working with nature. It's a derivative of the two words permanent and culture or permanent and agriculture. And the first premise of permaculture is that you go out in your space and observe. Spend some time paying attention to what's going on in your space because that's what's going to give you the most information about how to grow where you're at. And the first thing, absolutely the first thing you need to be paying attention to is where's the sun at? Because by your garden placement can be all wrong or all right. And depending on where you put your garden, you can be all successful or all failure. So sun exposure is the biggest thing that we need to pay attention to when we're placing our our garden. And what I like to say is an eastern exposure, an eastern exposure gets sun from sun up until noon. An eastern exposure is the best place to grow a garden. So that you know during the hotter times of the year and mostly we're hot, you know, 6 months a year, right? So during the hottest time of the year, Growing on an eastern exposure, again, an eastern exposure gets sun from sun up until noon. That's the best place to grow. A western exposure, what would you think that would do for us in a garden, Romy? You'd need some artificial shade <laughs> yes, <laughs> at some would. point some... in the day. <laughs> yeah. A western exposure gets sun from noon until sundown, and it's where your garden cooks. But is that a bad place to garden? I guess it just depends on what you're trying to grow there. <laughs> and the time of year. And the time of year. Might be a better winter to have it on the west in the winter exactly, and east in the Exactly, exactly. So, and that's where the observation comes in. You, you all remember the calico cow down on Central a few, maybe a decade and a half ago. Um, when they opened it, it was um, up on Dunlap and Central. When they opened it, they had this nice big patio. And it was western-facing patio. And this was back, you know, 20 years ago when I started really getting into installing gardens and that kind of stuff. And uh, what I found on that western facing patio that was mostly concrete, by the way, was that we could grow anything and everything from about October 1st to about May 1st. And we could grow nothing (laughs) from May 1st to October 1st because it was just too dang hot. So that western exposure made a perfect place for a winter garden. So you just have to, you know, really pay attention to that. Southern exposure gets sun most of the day, and uh, you might have to pl- 
plant some shade or put up some shade for a southern exposure. A northern exposure is on the north side of your house or north side of the wall. And you really want to avoid trying to grow a garden on a northern exposure uh, because it just doesn't get enough sun. And when you're growing vegetables, when you're growing food, it needs sun in order to make that. And if it doesn't get sun for more than, you know, six or seven or eight hours a day, good luck. You're not going to have a whole lot of luck there. So that's the first thing to pay attention to. And where the sun is today doesn't mean that's where it's going to be, you know, in six months from now. There's about, was it 13 degree? Um, Something like fr- that. From summer to winter on where the sun will trace through your yard. So it, you know, it could take a, I don't know, a, a year, and I'm not saying wait a year to plant a garden, mm, but, right. uh, you know, you may may have to move it or may have to adjust it or trim some trees different. Uh, you know, there, there will be things that you'll learn over the course of, t- of a year or two or three years yes. seeing the repeat patterns. Yeah, and I tell people this all the time. Spend a year, at least a year observing in your yard before you make any major changes. Now, putting a garden isn't in isn't a major change, but taking out trees is and the people across the street from me i've been in the house for 32 31 years now and almost as long as you guys have been on the air uh, and the people across the street from me their front yard faces west and about 10 years ago i got new neighbors across there and so again western facing gets sun from noon until sundown and within a week of their neighbors arriving they were out there with chainsaws taking out 80 year old grapefruit trees not realizing that that was their summer shade. They, they just upped their summer energy bills by 30, 40 bucks a month. <laughs> at least, at least. So in permaculture, we call that a class one error. You don't want to make an error like that. So spend time watching what's going on in your yard. And I tell people this all the time. Set your smartphone for June 21st at noon and for December 21st at noon and go look where the sun is at in the sky. Now, out of curiosity, how long on your new neighbors before they were replanting something else? <laughs> uh, well, uh, they fairly quickly, they replanted something else, but it, it took a good eight or 10 years for it to shade their house. Yeah. And that's just, that's, uh, yeah. Anyways. It, so what'd you call that? A class one error? Cla- in permaculture, we call that a class one error, and you don't want to make those errors. I guess um, that's a felony in that case, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. And then the next thing you want to do is you want to start looking for what we call microclimates in your yard, places that are cooler or warmer. And what what do you think would make a place in your yard warmer, Romy? Well, uh, the west-facing wall yep. would be one. A concrete block fence. Gravel. Gravel. Yep. All those things are going to make your space warmer. And so... It's your job to figure out how to make those spaces cooler or find the cooler places in your yard. You've, you've all been hiking out there. You go hiking and you go down into a ravine and it gets 10, 15 degrees cooler. That's called a microclimate. That's what you're looking for in your yard. Where are the cooler and warmer spaces to grow? one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE-4U. When you hear the auto attendant, just hit the number one button, and it'll bypass the auto attendant, put you right into the studio. The text is working this Saturday. It's been off the last few weeks. Yay. 
but it is working in real time. 411-923, or you can email info at rosyonthehouse.com if you have a garden question. Uh, and the email works great. If you have a picture that you want to send, a little plant or insect identification, you can email it there. It is the Outdoor Living Hour of Rosie on the House. More with Farmer Greg shortly. Continuing our conversation on Spring Garden, Urban Farm Greg Peterson, we were talking about microclimates, and our, of course our talking points are always longer than the segment that we can see <laughs> in, the fifth, in the segment, and we had uh, we water before we move on to the talking points for segment two. Yeah, so making sure you put your garden in the right place, really important. Second thing, how are you going to get your garden watered? It's... Um, uh, probably this the second most important thing, uh, unless you're in August, then it's the first more, most important thing. And, you know, I have flood irrigation, and I bought the Urban Farm 31 years ago purposefully because of the flood irrigation. And so I get, you know, 22 floods a year with six inches of water. If you're not familiar with it, it's, you know, when you're driving around town, you see a pond in somebody's front yard, that's the flood irrigation. And... Um, you know, so that's best if that's what you got. But with gardens, you need to water it more often than that. And so we're, you know, we're pretty much stuck with city water, unless you're on a well, uh, or if you can collect your own rainwater. So there's rainwater and gray water harvesting that you can do. And there's whole, you know, there's whole systems that you can put in place for that. But my favorite way to actually water my garden, and I have flood irrigation, but then for the groceries, they need to be watered every other day. And the flood irrigation only comes in every two weeks. So I use something called drip tape. Drip tape is an expandable uh, lay flat tape that comes on when I tell it to. And the cool thing about drip tape is that it has to equally pressurize through the entire system in order to start leaking. So that means that, and this isn't the case with drip irrigation. With drip irrigation, the pressure is bigger at the beginning and less at the end. With drip tape, we get the the same pressure through the, through the entire system. So we get the same water through the entire system. Everything's getting watered uh, equally. So uh Check out urbanfarmwater.com, and I have a whole segment of stuff on there on watering your garden. And a lot of our water you were talking about coming from the city, so it's been uh, treated, so oh, it's yes. drinkable. Um, and there was recently somebody was saying at certain times a year, because of the water coming in from the CAP, there's different amounts of calcium in it. But yes. I don't, I don't think I, I'm. I'm Skeptical on that one because most of CAP water gets stored at Lake Pleasant first before it's ever ah. moved. So there's plenty of time for the water to settlement to settle before then it's then delivered. So well, I'm, some I'm of skeptical it, on that one. Yeah, some of it's segment, uh, sediment. Some of it is actually dissolved solids in the water. And that's the calcium that we have to work with. And, you know, we live in the desert. The water travels across the desert. It's hot in the summertime. Water evaporates, leaves the minerals behind. So, you know, we get to deal with minerals in our water. Uh, and, you know, in most homes, if you're getting city water, you get to deal with chlorine. And it is really important for your garden and for your health to take the chlorine out. And I know you have some teams of people that help with that uh, here at, you know, on Rosie on the house. And uh, 
so look at putting a chlorine extraction water system on your house. That's really important. And you do that for your garden water as well? Yes, absolutely. Okay. In fact, here's, here's something to pay attention to. About eight years ago, my brother comes to me and he says, Greg, I want to plant a garden. I said, great, I'll come over. We planted a garden and it just struggled along. And it took me about four months to figure it out. But he was, what it turned out was he was watering his garden with softened water. And that softened water, they use the, the salt, uh, you know, the calcium to soften it. So he was putting highly calcified water on his garden and it just struggled. So if you have a water softening system on your house, you have to go around that for your garden. Yes. Do not you and, and indoor plants as well. Yeah, and indoor plants as well. So. Exactly. So. so watering, uh, then stacking functions, the next. Yeah. So in permaculture, we have something called stacking functions. And basically what that means is that you do many things with one event or one asset or one thing. So to simplify it, when I went back to college in 1999, I had a transportation planning class. And by that time, I'd already been studying permaculture for about a decade. And I knew what stacking functions was in permaculture. But I'm in this transportation planning class out at Arizona State University, and they start talking about something called trip stacking. You don't go to the grocery store, come home, go to the doctor, come home, go to the pet store, come home. What you do is you go to the grocery store, the pet store, the doctor, and then come home in a loop, right? We do the same thing in permaculture. We have an asset, like in my yard, chickens that do multiple things. So the chickens in my yard, they uh, give me eggs. They give me chicken poop, uh, which is great fertilizer for the garden. They eat bugs. They eat weeds. They're great diggers. So this one asset called a chicken does multiple things for me in my yard. So my challenge for you is everything you do in your yard, can you see about making sure that it, it has more functions in the space? That's really what stacking functions is. And you can own chickens in the city. Uh, roosters, can. there are certain areas, neighborhoods, and HOAs, and really not a point to really have a rooster in the city anyway. Right. But um, chickens, I, unless there's something specific to your HOA, you can have uh, a, a dozen in your backyard. No yeah. problem. And you need to you do need to check with a specific city because, interestingly enough, Glendale and Chandler do not allow chickens. So you, and Glendale still has a lot of farming. You would think that would, <laughs> that one doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. You at all. know what? I bet at some point, if you look back when that law was passed, the mayor's neighbor probably had like six hundred, and he was driving them nuts. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we can do a lot of things here at Rosie on the House, but we can't stop the clock. Bottom of the hour. Bottom of the hour news break. Back in a moment. Blossoms on the trees, stirred up the honeybees. Spring makes my fever rise. Tell you what, the bees have been buzzing around our ash trees, and the first, I've got two varieties of peach, and the one variety, the it's almost done with its uh, with its bloom. Oh, that, yeah. that that pink peach blossom in the spring is is a lot of fun. Desert gold, probably, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was trying to remember picturing the map in my mind, which varieties <laughs> where. Yes. Wait, yes, hold on. Do you keep gold. a map of where the trees are in your yard? I did. Oh, you're much better than I am, man. <laughs> I just plant the trees. And, uh... So for the time, it's a flower now to peach. 
what are you looking at? How much time? Um, uh, June, well, May, June. Yeah, mid-May is when the desert gold peaches arrive. So right. what's it, mid-February, mid-March, mid-April. So 60, 90 days. That's quick. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. And my, my apricot, I was looking out at my apricot this morning, and it's just budding out now. And we'll have those, uh, you know, so it'll be blooming, let's call it March 1st. Um, you know, we'll be harvesting those about May 15th. So that's even a shorter amount of time. While we're on the subject of that, um, a uh, local television personality who I communicate with had said that her citrus trees this year, her oranges were really small to medium. She didn't have anything large, and she found that the, the juice was a little more tart than last year. Uh-huh. Would the hot summer have something to do uh-huh. with that? Okay. Yes, Confirmed absolutely. It. So we, we, we talk a lot about fruit trees because I am big time into fruit trees mm-hmm. in the valley and knowing how to grow them. And the past couple of years, we've had, with the extreme heat, we've had to go to extreme tree care. And extreme tree care is uh, granular fertilizing. It's foliar fertilizing. It's shading the ground with some kind of ground cover underneath the tree. Uh, make sure you paint your trunk or wrap your trunk. Uh, so there's a bunch of things that need to be done to successfully do that. And I'd be more than happy to talk to them about. Uh, All right, Celeste Rodriguez at Fox 10. You just got your answer. All right. <laughs> I was just on Fox 10 this morning talking to Ty. So so soil, that's where we need to go next. So you've you've figured out where your garden goes and you've gotten a sense of how to water it and you know how to get it in place in your yard. If you try and grow with dirt, the dirt that you have in your yard. In fact, Kari Spencer tells this story 15 or 20 years ago when she started her garden, she went out in her backyard and got some uh, dirt, dug up some dirt out of her backyard, put it in pots and was a miserable failure. Of course. Unless you're trying to grow creosote. That seems to be you know pretty effective at creosote growing. <laughs> well, there you go. Never but tried it. That's not good eating though. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So there are five components of healthy soil and dirt is one of them. Dirt is a very important piece. But if all you all you have is dirt, which is broken down rock, it's the, all the minerals in there. If that's all you have, good luck growing anything. It's just not going to happen. So the five components are, do you remember? Well, I, I was reading the notes during the break, <laughs> uh, so uh, I remembered three of the five right off, right off the other two. I was like, "Oh yeah, 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 that's right, that's right." <laughs> so dirt, airspace, water. So you have to; it needs to be fluffy, and you know the water needs to be able to flow through it. Dirt, airspace, water, organic matter, and everything that's alive in the soil. And the good news is, is that it's a real easy fix. Add lots and lots and lots of organic matter. And all the other things just seem to kind of fall into place. Exactly. You know, it'll take time. If you have straight dirt uh, and try and grow something, you know, with two, three or four inches of organic matter on top, that's a good start. But it'll take two or three or four years of adding a couple inches of compost or planting mix on top of your garden beds every year in order to get the soil really good. The heat burns up the organic matter in our soil. It's amazing to watch. I'll add four inches of compost to my gardens. It's one of the things I'm going to be doing in the next couple of weeks. Four inches of compost to my gardens. And by the end of the summer, most of it will be gone. (laughs) The plants have taken it up, but the heat just cooks it out of the space. So... 
make sure that you grow healthy soil. And there's there's many different ways to grow healthy soil. Uh, I like to talk about Jan's uh, instant garden. I went to Jan's house, a longtime friend of mine, uh, and maybe 10 years ago, and she had an on an eastern exposure, so it was on the east side of her house, so it was getting morning sun, a garden bed that was four feet wide and 14 feet long. And I went in and I put in four inches of planting mix right on the top. What didn't I do? Dig. I didn't dig. Exactly. So I put in four or five inches of compost right on and planting mix right on top of her garden, and we planted. And then what we did is we let the roots do the rest of the work. And what happens is if you're doing that, five inches on top, planting your garden, the next year you add two more inches, the next year you add two more inches, before long you start getting this healthy soil that's not four or five inches thick, but that's six or eight inches thick. Uh, in fact, doing this at the urban farm, a few years ago I actually had a problem because we get flood irrigation. Remember I said that? And over the course of about 20 years, my garden beds got higher than my flood irrigation because I'd go in every year and I'd add a couple inches of compost. And so I went in, I'm going to say about eight years ago, I went in and I dug down, I had to go down 18 inches before I hit dirt. Now at that point I'd been putting compost on that bed for about 20 years, but that's how, that's how it works. That's how you build healthy soil. And so what'd you do with all that soil that you dug out? Well, so what I did is I, uh, I dug down 16 inches. I took out five inches of dirt underneath it, and then I dug the next trench. And I, so I kind of French, oh. it's a French digging concept where you dig a trench and then move the soil from the, you know, the row next to it into the trench you dug. And then I used it to you know, fix the berms at the urban farm. Nice. Yeah. So that's how to that's one way to build healthy soil. I you know, you've heard me say this before and I always get a funny look. I like weeds growing in my yard. <laughs> First of all, a lot of weeds are edible. Number one, mallow and purslane and uh, lamb's quarters, those are all edible weeds that grow wild here. But the other thing that they do, and remember I said one of the components of healthy soil is airspace, right? If you let a mallow plant get three feet tall in your yard. It's got a three foot deep root on it. What you do is you cut that. I use, you know, the carpet cutters. They're about six inches long and got a handle on them. I use the carpet cutters. I grab the top of it and I go about a half inch below the soil and I cut that weed off. First of all, that's a, the weed now is a nutrient dense treat for the chickens or the compost pile. Secondly, I cut the growing point off of the weed in the ground so it's not going to grow anymore. And I left a compost spike that's three feet long in the ground that rots and makes an airspace so that the water can get in. So, you know, you have to manage weeds well in your yard, but it's not a bad thing to have them. There are a few areas I will let them grow after learning that, like in the orchard. And then I'll just take either, I've got two things. I've got a sickle Yep. that... Uh, once you get used to it, mm -hmm. those are very efficient. Oh, heck yeah. Um, and then, and I'll do that around and close up to the trees where the bush hog can't reach. Right. Because I'll just drag the bush hog over the rest of them, chop them off, and just let it, leave it all there and let it compost. Right, exactly. Because that is, that's another way in, in permaculture, we call it sheet mulching or, or uh, lasagna gardening, 
where you actually put down layers of organic matter and they break down over time, building healthy soil, just like in the forest. Nobody goes and rakes the forest. The leaves fall, the branches fall, plants die, you know, deer come by and poop. And over time, what you get is this really rich, amazing soil. And that's what we're doing, just letting it all compost naturally on top. And in fact, I like all the, the leaves from the deciduous yes. trees in the orchard, you know, we don't even rake those up no. anymore. Um, when I trim, I've got a big stack of branches and there's a three-point attachment I want to get for the tractor that's a chipper. Mm-hmm. So you just hook it up to the back of the tractor and all those branches that are piling oh. up, you know, we'll just chip them all right back into uh, topsoil on, yep. on top of the orchard. And then we even take manure from the horse pens and mm-hmm. we spread it out in there and just let it all. That's all organic matter. Take, take its natural course. Yeah. That's your fix. Add lots and lots and lots of organic matter. And that helps bring the five things that we need. Airspace. Water. Water. Dirt. Dirt. <laughs> organic matter and all things living. So exactly. when you add that organic, the living things just, they come. Yeah. Well, and it's amazing. I, I can't tell you how many people call or email me and say, I added all kinds of organic to my matter to my garden and the worms showed up. It's they like just, they come they out come. of thin air. Yeah. <laughs> they just show up. It's amazing. And there's other uh, living things in our soil as well. Oh, the microbiome of the soil. If you really want to jump in and learn about the biology of soil, Elaine Ingham is an internationally known soil expert. I've had her on my podcast a couple of times. And she really explains the depth and breadth of how much life there is in the soil. That's microbial. You can't even see it. And when you add the organic matter, those things just, they, they, they come. Yeah. <laughs> if you add it, they up. will come. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and healthy soil, I, it's been said many times, you know, as a gardener, as a tree grower, whatever the case may be, you're really just a, a soil manager. Because if you have your yep. soil right, have your watering right, you really don't have, I mean, that's, that's the key. You, you leave the plant alone and it'll do the rest. Yeah. If you actually get your biology and it takes a while to do this, but if you get your biology right in your soil, you actually don't have to fertilize because that broken down rock, the dirt becomes accessible through the microbes that grow in your soil. They're able to, those microbes are able to pull that, the nutrients out of the dirt and put it in your plant. And the healthier the plant, the soil is, the healthier the plant is, the healthier the food is that you're eating. There's a direct correlation there. And the flavor is much richer. Oh, yeah. I, you know, a really funny story. I, uh, we got a new dog three years ago, and I have a dog trainer, t- uh, uh, Tony Drugman, over at Dog On It. She's great. She's been helping me train my dogs for 30 years. And so she came to the house, gave me a lesson, gave me a lesson on how to train my dog, right? And I gave her a bunch of car, car navels and she took them home. And about 15 minutes later, she called me and she said, Greg, what are those? <laughs> and I said, those are car, car navels. And she said, they're nothing like I get in the grocery store. I said, of course not, because we're fertilizing right. We're foliar fertilizing. We're watering correctly. We're really making healthy soil. It will make your food pop when you have healthy soil. 
you know when you get your soil right you know it because the food tastes amazing and real quick we've got about a minute left what are in the spring planting time what can you grow oh my gosh well go to plantingcalendar.org um and download the, the planting calendar. It's a free planting calendar. But what what goes in right now? Tomatoes, peppers, uh, eggplant, uh, squash. So the squash were probably three or four weeks out on the vining squash, cucumbers, uh, pumpkins, those kinds of things. Uh, you can plant corn now. Uh, the grains you can you know if you want to try some grains. I have a buddy up of mine, uh, Bill McDorman, uh, the seed guy up in Cornville, and he grows enough grain every year for his bread. So we've got observation, we've got watering, we've got soil conditioning, now it's time for seed selection. You went through a quick list of things that could be planted right now. We did have a homeowner text us and want to know about their tomato plants. Should oh, they yes. try and keep them alive through the summer? Oh, yes. And I'm, I'm not sure your opinion. I know Jay Harper says save the water because it's probably, even if you are able to limp it through the summer, it's not going to be a great producer. Compost it and just start with new plants in the spring and in the fall. Um, I don't, do you, do you try and keep your tomato plants through the summer? Mostly they don't make it through the summer. That being said, I have a tomato plant growing in my front yard right now that is four feet wide, seven feet long. It's one plant. It's huge. And it is full of, uh, quarter size tomatoes right now that are all coming in. So, you know, magic can happen and, you know, trying to get things through the summer, uh, can be challenging, so <laughs> <laughs> that that's up to you. But they probably for water savings, it's, it's more a little more effective to go ahead and just yeah let it go yeah can can up all those extra ones that you get right now. There you go. So, well, th- so this this tomato plant was from a year ago. We planted it a year ago, so it made it through the summer last year. And when you say your front door, that's facing east, you've got a little eave, so you've yep. got a nice microclimate. There's yep. a got some afternoon shade on it. Yeah, exactly. That plant got that big in one year? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh my gosh, yes. We're doing something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I had some others that didn't, but, you know. It, you know, nature is funny like that. Nature... You know, magic happens. And then when that magic happens, you want to save the seeds. That's what we're talking about this afternoon from 2 until 5 at Seed Up Saturday. That's SeedUpSaturday.com. So so seeds, the different kinds of seeds. There's three different kinds of seeds you've likely heard of, genetically modified. The good news is, is that as gardeners, it's not something that we really have to, to manage Genetic, getting genetically modified seeds for our gardens because we're not the people that the companies are building those seeds for. You want to educate yourself and pay attention to what genetically modified means, but we don't really have to worry about the seeds in our gardens. Hybrid seeds, uh, you've you know undoubtedly heard of hybrid seeds. It's when watermelon A crosses with watermelon B and they make a watermelon seedless seed. Seedless watermelon. <laughs> which is seedless and really sweet. They're called cuties or... and. Hybrids aren't necessarily bad. You just can't save the seeds 
and get a reliable crop out of them. Can you save the seeds and plant them? Absolutely. And it's fun to experiment with that. Uh, and then there's open that, pollinated. Go ahead. And that's if you have enough room to have, okay, here's my reliable crop. Mm -hmm. And over here is my test crop. Exactly. And then there's heirloom or open pollinated seeds. And that's pretty much anything that, everything that I plant in my yard. These are uh, land races of seeds that are, uh, they're stable. So if you save the seed from an Armenian cucumber, uh, what you get is a really nice Armenian cucumber the next, the next season. And the thing that I do in my yard is I call it a food forest. So I basically let things go to seed in my yard, let the seeds land and let them come back on their own year after year. And I have literally dozens of things that do that every year in my yard that I don't have to plant. They just come back year after year after year. And you were talking about uh, at one point in time, they found seeds that were thousands of years old uh -huh. in a pot from the Aztecs, and they planted them and they grew. And they grew, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can it's, you imagine that? Yeah, people ask me this. This is one of the questions we get in our seed classes is how long do seeds live? They live until you kill them. <laughs> until you kill them. Until you kill week, them. Week and a half. And, <laughs> and you kill them by keeping them in too hot of an area, too moist of an area. The mantra for saving seeds is cool, dark, and dry. You want to keep the seeds cool in a dark place and dry. And if you leave them in your car in the summertime, forget it. You're going to kill them. And they really don't know how long seeds will live. Uh, there's, you know, I, I read a report, I don't know, about 10 years ago of a seeds from the 1920s that they do a, a germ test on. That's how to test to see if they germinate as a germ test every year. And, uh, you know, since the 1920s, these seeds still germinate. And <laughs> right. if you get a bunch of seeds and they're all dead except one and it grows, bonus. Hang on. You got food. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Well, Greg, it's been a long time since I've felt this inadequate. Your your tomato plants, one-year-old tomato plants, bigger than my oleanders. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> now, listen, y'all. I want y'all to stay tuned. Rosie is going to get on a huge, huge soapbox in the next hour. So we've been outside helping you with your landscape, your irrigation, and your Food forest. I love that term. Why water it? Why feed it? Why trim it? Why edge it? Why do anything with it if you can't eat it? Yes, absolutely. Man, I'm, I'm a big advocate of that plant. <laughs> now I just got to learn how to grow it. Uh, but I do make good compost. <laughs> nice. So thanks a million for this hour. Absolutely. And again, the activity this afternoon, the event this afternoon. SeedUpSaturday.com. All right. And that's a... a a, a live event live, free online with education on how to save seeds and 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 we can order seeds in that event and you can order seeds in that event just like in the old days when we used to go to the seed out and walk through the aisles exactly. and pick it and bag it all right fantastic and next month in march we'll be talking garden water so we'll oh, dive deep into good. all the different elements of water in your garden here at rosie on the house moving into our nine o'clock hour or on the house hour 